Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. All right. Hey, everybody. Hope everybody's doing all right. You guys good? Anybody thankful for air conditioning? Anybody thankful for rain? Anybody thankful when rain doesn't tear up everything? I'm thankful for that too. It's good to see you guys. How many of you guys are most thankful for King Jesus, that he saved you, that he set you free? I hope so. It sounds like 50% of you are. That's good. We can work with that. Uh, We've been in the Life of David series this summer, and uh, I'm continuing in that, but I'm actually going to be connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament today. One of the things that David had a strong connection with is understanding that he could trust his heavenly father. He could trust God. He could trust Yahweh to provide. And he, he knew that because he, he walked through some stuff that tested it. And, uh, but there are a lot of times when it didn't make sense. And, you know, when you're anointed to be king, you know you're the rightful king, and then you spend 15 years in wilderness and in caves and running away from a psycho trying to kill you, it could get real easy to say, you there, God? Like, is this... You still got me? And I think it echoes over and over again throughout his writings, through David's writings, that he understood that it was okay to struggle with the questions. David lamented. David struggled. But every time, if you read in the Psalms, every time it starts off with, Like, God, where are you? What's going on? And then you get a little violent. God, kill everyone. Kill all my enemies. But almost every time it would come back to, but God, you're my strong tower. You're the one I can run to. You see me. You love me. So I want to go to one of the most well-known examples of this in Psalm 23. If you don't mind, can we stand? when we read this together. Sometimes when you just change your posture before the Lord, it can uh, maybe just kind of shake up your heart a little bit to receive. So let's read this together. Now, here's the deal. We're gonna read it together, but I might pause, okay? So right now it's a little bit like we're dancing and I need you to let me lead, okay, all right? Sometimes when I dance with Cody, she's a dancer, and she doesn't always let me lead. That's a different story for a different time. But let's read this together. On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Pause. You will either be humble and led by the Holy Spirit in life, And know when it's time to rest in God's presence. The great thing is that God loves you enough 
that sometimes he'll make you lie down. He'll make you. It's like, all right, it's time. It's time, okay? Let's keep going. He leads me beside quiet waters. Okay, that's significant because if it's going with the analogy of us being sheep, okay? Uh, by the way, sheep are stupid, okay? So I hope you're encouraged that so often when the Bible talks about you, talks about you as a really stupid animal, okay? But the thing about sheep is they're, they're so dumb, they don't know when they've gotten themselves in too deep. And their wool, and especially if they haven't been sheared and they get into any kind of water, but especially water that's rushing too fast, they're just gonna get swept away. They're gonna just be like a, like a giant cotton ball, wool ball, just done. And they can't swim very good at all, okay? So, so what this is saying is, God won't just put you in a place of peace. He'll also never put you in an environment that's too much for you. He won't ask you to do something that's ill-fitting. He's not asking you to be busy and to rush and to subject yourself constantly to things that are busy and causing you to be anxious and rush. No, he wants you to be beside quiet, still waters, okay? He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. I knew the next part for sure. Uh, pay attention to this part. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, okay? Rod and staff, what does that mean, okay? These are, they're two different sticks, okay? One is used for defense and discipline. The other one is used for guidance and rescue, okay? So this is how good God is. He will be faithful to defend you. You don't have to hold on to your sense of justice. His sense of justice is holy and perfect and sovereign. You can trust him for it. But sometimes you're the one that needs discipline and he loves you enough that he'll correct you. But also when you get in those spots where you get in the rushing water, you get in over your head, he's also faithful to rescue with his shepherd's staff. He has a hook on the end of it. So you reach out, grab you by the neck and pull you out of the mess you got yourself into. He's faithful. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that if we lost track or lost sight of who you are, not just as a creator of the universe, but as a good father and shepherd, would you remind us again? And for any of us that have never really came in touch with that, like we don't have any kind of a personal revelation of that, I thank you. Spirit of living God is a great counselor and helper that you are here that you're gonna minister and to speak to those hearts that maybe haven't truly encountered you. Would you speak 
In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So that whole idea of being in the darkest valley, trust me, David understood. Like that wasn't just a metaphor. There were times where he was in really, really dark places. Like some of the darkest places you can be on earth is way back in the middle of a cave, okay? He understood what that felt like. He also definitely understood what it meant to be at peace in the presence of enemies. There were several times that David was playing a harp, singing songs, and Saul would have a psychotic, demonic episode and hurl spears and swords at David, okay? And so David had to learn, like, like even, even when there are, there, there's physical, literal danger, people trying to hurt me, even when that is happening, I can be at peace. I can enjoy a peaceful meal even when there's people coming against me in the presence of my enemies. A lot of us need help with understanding that kind of peace, that kind of rest, including myself. As a nation, we are a people in the pursuit of happiness, but we've never been more stressed out than any other time in history. Like all the studies would show that. There is more stress existing right now in our nation than there has ever been before, which is baffling to me, considering we went through a couple world wars. Considering we had most of our men off fighting and dying and on battlefields at a couple points in our history, but we're still dealing with more stress right now. We are an emotionally drained, deprived people, on edge all the time. And any of us that have struggled with stress and anxiety, you know that it affects you in a lot of different ways. It'll affect you really holistically, your spirit, soul, and body. It'll manifest in all those ways. So my son Reeves and I, uh, a few months back, we were watching the Razorbacks play baseball. And at one point, Reeves looks at me and he says, Dad, I'm really stressed. And I'm like, buddy, so am I. He's like, I'm nervous. I'm like, buddy, I, I, I understand. Me too. Dad, it seems like something bad's gonna happen. Dad, what's happening to us? I said, Reeves, this is what it feels like to be a Razorback fan. <laughs> and you've only experienced it for a short while. We know people that have been feeling this way for a really long time. So just to review, top causes of stress, job, money, health, media overload, never truly knowing what you're really supposed to bring to the DMV, and watching the Razorbacks. In our culture, in our nation specifically, we deal with stress in a lot of different ways. Uh, comfort eating, that happens. Like, man, chocolate, it gets you. Chocolate, but it's dark chocolate. It's full of antioxidants. 
so it's good for you. Shopping, medication, binge watching, but there's also some more serious escapist forms of sin, affairs, drugs, porn, getting drunk. So in Philippians 4, Paul gives us some New Testament, New Covenant language that lines right up with what King David was trying to convey in Psalm 23. Paul goes into what you could call stress management that is a guarantee. In Philippians 4, 7, it's the, out of the Living Bible translation, if you do these things, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet and keep your heart at rest. The reason why this is so important is because this is not a guarantee from a person. This is a guarantee by God. It is his word. Another translation says that there will be a peace that surpasses understanding. How do you know when you have peace that is passing understanding? When I'm in chaos and tension and pressure and stress, but at peace on the inside. Still full of faith and even joy. So let's break this down. The first thing, you gotta root out worry. Root out worry. Refuse to worry about anything. Why? Because the number one source of stress in your life is not work, it's worry. You may be overworked, but it's more likely that you're overworried. Work doesn't keep you up at night, it's the worry about work that keeps you up at night. And God is very clear in his word what he thinks about worry. Verse 6 Never worry about anything. So is there a lot of wiggle room in that verse? Like, oh, I mean, God, I know what you're saying, but like, this is kind of a big deal. You probably never dealt with this, God. Uh, You don't understand the stress that I'm feeling right now. There has never been a time ever that God whispered, yeah, I'd be stressed too. It's kind of a big deal you're dealing with down there. Sorry about that. This was such a big thing in the ministry of Jesus that it made an entire section in the greatest sermon ever preached. Matthew 6.25, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food? Is not the body more important than clothes? Although I do think the one thing that was good that we got out of the fall of man is clothing. I will say that. I'm just, I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful you're all dressed right now. I know that people say that the best way to get over the fear of public speaking is to picture everyone in their underwear. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work. It's a bad idea. What Jesus is saying is that worry is irrational. Worry is emotional atheism. It's where you feel like God doesn't have this. Pastoring and trying to help people, I've learned this. Worry just exaggerates the problem. It enlarges what's really going on. Uh, Most of us have experienced this at night, right? You're trying to go to sleep or you fell asleep, but then you woke up and you start thinking about stuff. 
And so you start, make, you start going through the list. There's one situation or there's multiple situations. There's multiple things going on. And you just sit there and you worry and you worry and you worry. And it, and it turns out that when you're exhausted and you finally fall asleep and you wake up in the morning, guess what? Nothing changed except you're tired and grumpy. So, I mean, for me, one of the things I do is I start making a list and then I pray over that list and then I go to sleep. But my worry has never changed anything that I've worried about. It's never changed anything. It just makes it bigger. If you filled an Olympic-sized pool with fog that was so thick you couldn't see through it, it would only take one half gallon of water. Worry never makes the problem smaller, only bigger, but it's exaggerated. I've never worried about something and thought later, man, I'm really glad I worried about that. That was a good move. It's also 100% unnatural. God hasn't created anything to worry. Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? If any animal on God is on God's welfare program, it's birds, because they don't do anything except birdie things. Tweet, tweet. That's about it. But they don't sow or reap. Jesus says, your heavenly Father sees them knows their needs. He's saying that all of, in all of God's creation, the entire universe, only human beings worry. Animals don't worry. Plants don't worry. Some of you are like, no, I'm sure my fur baby worries. They respond to things. They react to things. But I'm sorry. We're the only ones that worry. Cats definitely don't worry. They could care less. Side story, couple in this church, two cats, way on vacation, had their dad coming and checking on their cats every day, okay? In the last 24 hours that they were gone on their vacation, in the period of 16 hours between when their dad came and checked on the cats and left, one of those cats turned on the kitchen sink and flooded their whole house. $45,000 worth of damage. Cats are... Not my favorite. <laughs> Proverbs 20 or 12, 25. An anxious heart weighs a man down. Who's ever felt that before? Just the weight. The word worry actually comes from an old English word that means to strangle and choke. It's in the dictionary. And that's exactly what it does. It chokes your joy, makes it hard for you to love or be loved, and it will rob you of your peace. Proverbs 14, 30, a heart at peace gives life to the body. Also, pray about everything. Don't panic, pray. Don't worry, worship. You need to open up dialogue and communication. 
Worry is about you talking about to yourself about your problems. And talking to yourself won't do anything, but talking to God will. Verse 6, never worry about anything. Instead, in every situation, let God know what you need in, in your prayers and in your request. This is what I know for sure. If I pray nearly as much as I worry, I wouldn't have a whole lot to worry about anymore. If you prayed nearly as much as you stress and worry about things, I don't think you'd really have that many more worries anymore. Because even if it didn't change every single situation and circumstance, it would certainly change your perspective of every situation and circumstance. When I was a kid, when something broke or went wrong, I never freaked out because I had a fix-it dad. How many of y'all had fix-it dads growing up? I had a fix-it dad. He was good at fixing stuff. Not just like emotional stuff, but physical stuff. He was just good at fixing stuff. There was never a time, like the first time my chain came off on my bike, I wasn't like, my life's over. I'll never ride a bike again. Look. No, I just took my bike to my dad. And he showed me how to fix it. That is a good dad. It's not just the dad that is a good fix-it dad but a good fix-it dad that shows you and equips you how to fix. So I remember one point I had this assignment that was due at school. And I forgot what the due date was on that. And so I remember my head popped off my pillow one day and I said, oh no, that's due tomorrow. And it was kind of a big project. I was supposed to... Uh, create a model. We don't do this stuff anymore in school, and it's a travesty, quite honestly. I had to produce a model to scale of a Native American nomadic, nomadic tribe campsite with a teepee and everything. And I remember I went to my dad, and the first thing he did was have a conversation with me about not procrastinating and being responsible when things are supposed to be done. And then after that, came up with a plan. And I remember it was late. We drove a few miles down to the local lake where we could find these willow reeds. And I was like, well, I'm like, you're giving me a whipping? I mean, like, cause that was typically like, anybody go get a switch? Anybody have that growing up? Might need to make, that come back a little bit again. But, uh, but I was like, what are we doing? He, he cuts all these willow reeds and they were the perfect size for miniature teepee poles. And then he just went through and just, he, we found a pattern. I'm telling you, this model was amazing. Like we got real beef jerky and made little tiny pieces and hung it over our little fire pit so we could smoke it. It was so awesome. After I'd gotten my grade, which was clearly an A plus on the model, it was so amazing. I had a kid buy it from me for $25. <laughs> I don't care what he used it for. Yeah, I got 25 bucks. This model was way better than all the Valentine's boxes that you guys have made for your kids, okay? 
And I know that that insults some of you, but it's true. My dad just helped fix things. So what was my job? Humble myself, ask dad. His job, figure out the answer. It's the same in your relationship with your heavenly father. I ask, he figures out the rest. Worry is acting like you're a spiritual orphan with no good shepherd or heavenly father who cares or has any provision, has any wisdom or any answers. And the truth is you have all of that in abundance if you come to him. James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask. You worry less when you ask more of your heavenly father. And sometimes, and I've been here too, you might say, but I don't want to bother God with this little thing. I don't want to bother God with this little thing. I want you to consider this. There are no big problems in your life. There are no little problems in your life because all of them are no problem to God. God's got it. There's never been anything. He's like, oh, ah, wasn't expecting this. This is huge. I don't know. I mean, yes, I put the earth in perfect orbit around a huge burning ball of gas that if we were literally a couple feet closer or a couple feet further away in the cosmos, we would burn up or freeze to death. But what are you going to do with my problem? I was thinking about this morning. Did you guys check out the sun this morning? It was pretty cool earlier. You were probably not up when I was up. That's fair. But there was just enough like cloud cover and probably pollution that you could just see like the perfect outline of the sun. And I was like, oh, thank you so much for diesel, you know? And uh, I'm joking. I'm sorry. That wasn't, if you're, take care of the environment, okay? Uh, but it was amazing. And I was just looking there, this beautiful, this beautiful sun. You know, probably stared out a little too long, but it was, it was just really cool. And I started thinking about that. I was like, God, <laughs> you're amazing. You give us seasons, everything. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. If you're in here and you believe in the Big Bang Theory, I promise you, you actually have more faith than I have because it takes more faith to believe in all that than it does to believe in a creator God, but he did. He's got you. He's got you. You can trust him. Romans 8.32, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he who gives us Christ also give us everything else we need? What's this saying? Follow the logic here. The truth is your biggest problem is getting into heaven because heaven is perfect and you're not and neither are not, am I. And you've got to be perfect to get in, okay? God solved that with the perfect sacrifice of his son, Jesus. So the biggest problem, handled. All other problems, they're easy for him. Number three, be thankful every day. 
Verse 6, New King James Version. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, supplication. Just means keep going. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, like even if you're really, really, really smart, like even if, you know, even if you're really, really well educated, it's beyond it. It's beyond it. Will guard your hearts and your minds. Okay, hearts. So in, in, in Bible times, it, it, the Greeks helped clear up. In the Old Testament, there was no disconnect between the mind and the heart. Like they didn't, they just, they knew what was called the rock, the spirit. God gave you his rock. okay? New Testament, it's pneuma. The Greeks were the first ones that really started figuring out anatomy. Like, okay, there's a, there's a brain that creates some sort of function, and then the heart is the lifeblood, okay? But there wasn't a separation. And what this is saying, though, is if you want to attribute attributes, it's saying he'll guard your feelings. Some of us need our feelings desperately to be guarded by the spirit of the living God, the great counselor and helper. Because when we're not, and we let our feelings and our emotions drive and control us, man, it just does so much destruction. So much destruction, okay? Guard your hearts and your minds, your thoughts, your intellect. First place the enemy attacks you is in your thoughts. First place things start to go bad is starts with a thought. Starts with a thought. Guard your hearts and your minds under the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Paid the price. Paid the price. But what it doesn't say is, thank God for all things. Because there's a lot of things that you shouldn't be thankful for. It doesn't make sense that you would be. The pain in the world, the evil in the world, somebody gets cancer, you don't thank God for that. Somebody dies, you don't thank God for their death. What it says is, in all things, give thanks. Which means even in the bad times, I can know God is still good. He's still good. And in that moment, I can still be thankful for who God is, even though I'm not thankful for the situation. Now, a lot of times in hindsight, your testimony later on, it's like, man, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful I went through that. I'm thankful. But we're not thankful for everything. We live in a broken world, free will, and people do dumb stuff. But we can know that God's still good and faithful in the middle of it. It'll change the culture of your home. If you start getting really frustrated, if there's a lot of, you start getting cynical or there's fighting. I know in my home, when it starts getting like this, I wanna rain down fire from heaven. Like, oh God, I'm going Old Testament here. I just would like you to burn them all up, right? Just burn, send it. But typically when I start getting that way, it's because I've lost connection with thankfulness. And for sure, that's what's happening with everybody else in the house. 
they're just losing connection. So many times when we pray over our meal at night, I'll just mention a few things that we can be thankful for. I think it can be easy to lose sight of those things. Like a lot of those things, they become like those Tetris blocks. Well, money, car, house, job, groceries. All these things just keep falling down every day and everything needs to fall in place. And a lot of times we lose sight of, no, God provided. <laughs> I would have nothing without him. He gave me the ability to work. He gave me this blessing, all these things. When you wire your brain and spirit towards thankfulness, you see it everywhere, things that you can be thankful for. It rewires your spirit, goes from your mind and it'll hit your soul. And this book tells us over and over again that thankfulness and joy are connected. Find an unthankful person, they're going to be miserable. Find a thankful person, they'll have joy. Different than happiness, joy. Happiness, situation, and circumstance. It's okay to have happiness, don't live your life based on it. Happiness should be birthed out of real joy. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Last thing is this, filter what your mind dwells on. Like I've already said, the stress, the war in your life, that whole battle starts between your ears. It's the stress out there that gets in here between your ears that creates the war that creates the stress. So one of my favorite verses, real quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make obedient to Christ. You can't take thoughts captive with more thoughts. Okay, so how do you take a thought captive? It has to be put under submission to a truth that's bigger than the truth you're trying to dwell on. And there's nothing more established than his word. So sometimes what you need is you need a verse that you can declare and stand on that's more powerful than the thought that's trying to steer you. Take the thoughts that try to steer you that don't line up with his word, don't line up with truth, take them captive, put them under submission to his truth, his word. What you fill your mind with will determine the level of stress in your life. So if you put garbage in, stress will come out. And I will say we are creating generational curses with stress. Dads, moms, if you're constantly stressed out in your house, you're inadvertently teaching your kids to be stressed, even at a young age. Even at an age where they can't articulate it, they're intuitive. You're passing that stress on to them. 
I know that I've done this in my home. I know I've done this unintentionally with my kids. I remember at one point, uh, this was probably six, seven years ago, maybe longer. Uh, our son Reeves, he came in and asked us, he's like, mom, dad, do I get an allowance? We're like, well, I mean, we haven't really talked about that, but you know, we're, we're open to it. He's like, what would my allowance be? And this was, you know, he was like seven years old. So we we're like, uh, it's like, you know, like 50 cents a week, something like that. He's like, 50 cents a week. Okay, he leaves. About five, 10 minutes later, he comes back out and he's crying. And he's really upset. And he comes to us. We're like, Reeves, what's going on? What's wrong, buddy? He's like, you don't want me to go to college. We're like, what? What? You don't want me to go to college. We're like, buddy, why would you think that? Do you know how long it's going to take me to save up for college on 50 cents a week? We're like, God willing, son, you're going to make more than 50 cents a week at some point in your life. But it was a picture of why did he have that mindset so quickly? I promise you so much of that he learns from me. Cody is so much more relaxed than I am about everything. It balances me. But I do think we can teach our kids to be stressed. How you respond, how you react, how you carry this around, it, it'll have an impact. So what do we do? Verse eight, fill your minds with those things that are true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and beautiful and respected. So this eliminates Netflix. I mean, there is almost nothing, almost nothing that's out there right now that meets that standard. Something to consider. If anything is excellent, if anything is worthy of honor, think about those things. In Isaiah 26, three, you Lord keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Corey Tim Boom, who is an amazing evangelist and prophet, she said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Close our eyes, bow our heads. The last part of that Psalm 23, it says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Another translation, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So one of the things you have to understand is, God is a good shepherd. God is a good heavenly father. It's saying it follows you, meaning it pursues you. It pursues you. God's goodness, his faithfulness, his love pursues you. It's going after you. And so maybe some of you, you just forgot that. And right now, the Holy Spirit is trying to show you things that you're carrying that you were never created to carry. 
Some of you have never had a revelation or a realization that there is a God, a creator, who is not distant. He's close. He loves you. He sees you. He wants a relationship with you. His love and his mercy has been pursuing you from the day that you were born. He's always loved you. And he's always just been waiting for you to stop and turn. It's a biblical word called repentance. You stop, you turn. And so maybe you're at a place in your life where you just forgot about the goodness and the mercy of God. You tried doing it your own way. You try to just kind of be in control. And maybe you need to do an about face, repent, recommit, rededicate your life. Put Jesus back on the throne of your heart. Or maybe you just never made that decision. Until this morning, it was even a foreign idea and concept that there is a God, the creator of the universe, who desperately, desperately wants to have a personal, real, authentic relationship with you. And if you're either one of those people, and you know, you just feel this thing, this tug in your spirit, like in your gut, like I, this, this is me. It's for me. And I want to give you a chance to respond to it. And if that is you, I'm going to ask you as an act of your free will to physically admit that you need Jesus, that you need to call on him. That's you. Everyone around you is going to be praying and you don't need to worry about them. But I want you to put your hand up right now and make eye contact with me. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. I need him. Thank you, guys. As soon as I see you, you can put your hands down. Got you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Got you. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus. Yes, sir. Anyone else? I'm away from him. I know I don't have a real relationship. I don't have hope. I don't have joy. Thank you. Anyone else? I don't have any confidence about my eternity. I know I need to call on him. I got you. I'm proud of you. Love you. Got you. Thank you. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus. I'm away from him. Like I've said so many times, we don't believe that raising your hand gets you saved. But we do know that when we, in faith, move physically towards the things of God, it helps relief, release faith inwardly. It helps us see like, I'm making this choice and it isn't easy. I, 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 I'm not just thinking good thoughts right now. I'm putting action to what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, I'm moving even a hand raise. The word says, if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Even a hand raise 
causes the creator of the universe to close the gap and meet you. Is there anyone else? I'm ready to call on him as my Lord and Savior right now. Okay. And somebody's like right on the edge. I'm not going to belabor this. That's you. Just do it. I understand being stubborn. This is not a good time to be stubborn. This is a good time for you just to say, I need Jesus. I'm ready to call on him right now. Father God, thank you so much for all those hands. And I thank you that you know them, you know their story. Thank you, Lord, that just in that simple motion, that simple act of faith, Lord, that you're here, you're gonna meet with them. I just wanna, I wanna lead you in a simple prayer. So if you raise your hand, at some point, the word says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, okay, you can make this decision right there in your chair. But what solidifies and helps fortify your faith in Jesus is that when your faith is no longer private, but it's public. So at some point you've got to declare your life needs to, it needs to look like the character of Christ. Your life needs to declare, I'm a follower of Christ. And the best way to go public with your faith is water baptism. But right there, we can just talk to Jesus. Just say this, Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I believe in faith. You died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. And right now I declare that you are my Lord. I thank you that you don't just save me from my sin, but you've got a plan for my life. And I wanna fulfill everything that you have for me but I won't do that if I'm still trying to call the shots. So I surrender to you and I repent. I turn away from doing what I wanna do, what the world wants me to do. I wanna live for you for the rest of my life. Be my Lord and Savior and my friend. Father God, thank you so much for meeting with us, your faithfulness to meet with every person that just said that prayer. God, I pray that even as we take communion together as a church family, Lord, by your spirit, you would help us to take off worry, to shed it like a weight, God. Let it fall off in this room by the power of the cross. God, help us to be people that trust in you because we're living in a day and age, Lord, where the worry and the stress all those things, they're not gonna just go away. They're gonna increase. God, we wanna be a people that clearly carry around a supernatural peace and a supernatural joy. In Jesus' name, amen.